Hey everyone, welcome to part two of the Wendy Nichols interview. I hope you listened to part one. If you didn't, go back in. Um, I, this is either going to be released one week apart or just uh, one on top of the other. Um, but definitely listen to part one. This goes into a whole bunch of stuff about um, being real in life and in social media and in working and parenting with chronic illness. I hope you enjoy. Please um, listen to what we had to say in the first episode about that Wendy's kind of on a timeline of um, needing help. So if you know people who are lobbyists, politicians, um, PR chair, you asked me what I have. I'm so sorry. I am the queen of tangents. Like we'll end up talking about something totally insane. Um, I have Eller Stainless. It means I dislocate by moving. Um, and I do mean by moving, I will dislocate by pointing at something. I will dislocate by, I just dislocated my tibia last night. No, two nights ago because I shifted in bed. I just did a small little move and my tibia went in front of my kneecap. So that's one of them. I have fibromyalgia just like you, my friend. Mm -hmm. uh, widespread mm -hmm. muscle pain sisters. Yay. Um, mm -hmm. I have POTS, which means that my heart rate can go from 40 to 200 and something. Mm -hmm. So I can do full Victorian fainting with no problem. Mm -hmm. um, super fun mm -hmm. in the United States. I want a mm -hmm. thing to say, do not call an ambulance because they'll be charged $4,000 for that ride to the hospital. <laughs> Very frustrating yep. when people call ambulances mm -hmm. in the United States. There's a reason some of us take Ubers to hospitals. It's not covered. Yes. The ambulance ride is not covered unless your insurance company later can say your life was at stake and that's a later decision. You cannot make that decision in that moment to say, I am so sick. I feel like I'm going to die. I would like someone who can mm -hmm. resuscitate me on that ride. The insurance company decides that after. Super fun mm -hmm. fact. Um, at least that's how it works with mm -hmm. Medicaid, I think. Um, anyway, uh, mm -hmm. yes, I have that. And then I have mast cell activation disorder, which means at any moment in time, my little histamines can decide to throw a fit from that's itchy to anaphylactic shock about literally any substance in the world. And then an hour later, I might not be allergic to it at all. So that's, that's gonna, my... I have two friends that have Ehlers Danos. I watch her suffer, and one of my good friends, Vivian, I'm going to connect you to offline. Oh, yay. She has she has pots, and she has what's the one you just mentioned? Uh, mass With activation. Mass activation. She has mass out. She has mass out and yeah. pots. Yeah, and these are um, fascinating human. <laughs> you know, we kind of have to be because we're stuck inside. <laughs> we have to read and do yeah. things, or at least we know all the really good shows on Netflix to watch. We're all very oh, yeah. good at those. Oh, I, I, oh we, that's a whole other podcast, honey. Are Is you it? in Handmaid's Tale? Because I no. want to start a podcast about Handmaid's Tale. Nope. Okay. nope. And I will tell you why. Because if I want to watch that, I will listen to Mitch McConnell talk. Mitch it's... McConnell? Who's Mitch McConnell? Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm my traitor. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm super, like, uh, no, it's just like if you're watching the Handmaid's Tale, I'm like, I would think that Mitch McConnell would be, like, on your dartboard. Um, uh, no, he's the, the Senate Majority Leader who keeps almost all of the the forward progressive ideas of like women's health care, anyone's health care. Uh, oh, you mean in politics, yes. not in the show. No, sorry, oh, in politics, I, you know, yes. Yeah, I'm if not, I want to I watch don't do politics at just, all. It's too close. Like the Handmaid's Tale feels like we are like a week away from this being on the news. And I can't watch a oh, show like that. Like I can't do it. I get it's it. It's too close. It's too like I won't read dystopian fiction. Um I read it on the road mm -hmm. and I could not handle the panic attacks afterwards because I'm like, we're just too close. Like it's just too, it, it feels like an instruction manual of like how to deal with this in the next five to 10 years. And I, I can't handle the anxiety. Oh, I could understand that. I didn't think of it, but I could understand that. I, you know, I got to say politics are just, just not, I'm just not interested in it. And because I don't vote, I don't give an opinion. That's why ah. I just, 
Okay, it well, I will not ask you why you don't vote. Please do not send this woman any, 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 none, nothing mean because uh, you don't know the circumstances of why this is. Um, yeah, oh, I, I have no problem telling you because, um, well, it has a lot to do, well, here we go, religion and politics. It's because I, I respect all of the leaders. I think everyone kind of has good motives. I think they're all trying to do their best. And because I'm an idealist, I can't vote as an idealist. So... I, I believe in what I believe in the Bible's outcome that a, a government is going to biblically is prophesied that all of these earthly governments are doing their best, but it's not forever. So I just don't get involved with politics. It's not for any other reason other than that, just my belief system. And we're I respect going those to, uh, who do Yeah, much. we're gonna have to just respect each other on a very different opinion there. But um, that's the reason I don't watch Handmaid's Tale. But I did watch Good Omens and I loved it. I thought that was fantastic. Good Omens? Yeah, it's on um, Amazon either. Prime. Um, but I'm a reader. I am. I actually got my degree in English literature. I am a bookworm to the nth degree. So I did read Handmaid's Tale, and it's an incredible book. I highly recommend reading it. Um, I read Good Omens. I loved it. I'm reading um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to my daughter right now. She's too old to be mm -hmm. read, too, but it is my still, like, you are going to sit here and be near me, and I will read you a book, goddammit. Um, so you read the book, Handmaid's Tale? Oh, yeah, I wonder. Absolutely. I love books. I wonder. If Margaret it's... Atwood. It's by Margaret Yeah, Atwood. I wonder if it's similar to the show. I have I'll no say. idea. I have not watched the show at all. But um, yeah, that was I, I just went through a binge through Fleabag on Amazon Prime. I watched all that one day. The Dairy Girls on Netflix. I watched that in two. Like, I have been in bed for like, I had like a really good two weeks. I don't know if you experienced this mm -hmm. where you're like, you have a really yes. good time where you're like, I feel great. And everyone in my life knows when it goes past three days because I start talking about, I could go back to school. I can get my teaching credential. I almost have a master's degree. I can finish that off. Mm -hmm. I could, I might be able to like work one or two days a week. I'm trying to be reasonable mm -hmm. about this. And then when it gets to two weeks, I start really thinking like that. And then mm -hmm. I'll dislocate everything and I'm stuck in bed forever. And I get really like this weird, I just put up like a video about it because I was going to put up a video about like, this is what it's like to have like really good few weeks. And this is really exciting and happy, but I'm also really scared. And then that night before I was going to record that I busted my tibia out and I was stuck in bed and I was like, we're going to talk about disappointment uh, now. Like, it's, yeah. It's this weird dance. One thing I have, one thing I have noticed for fibro and I just had a really bad four day flare. My husband had to literally pick me up to put me in the car and I just woke up to it and I said, Oh, I'm in a flare. I don't know um, if this is anything you've talked about on your other podcasts, but when I speak to other fibro patients who uh, that they, it was like a light bulb went off. I had done a lot of research in fibro and its relationship to my cycle. And I noticed <laughs> that when, when my hormones are like, I would say during a week before my period is when my body cannot body. Like, it's just, I'm a sack of potatoes. Like, I just, I can't turn. I can't breathe. I can't move my eyeballs. Like, the simplest things hurt. And then it's usually a week after my period that, you know, you have that energy. I'm inspired. I could take on the world. And everything is amazing, which is where I'm at today, which is Yay. why you have the Wendy, the Wendy that you happen to have. <laughs> and then during ovulation is when, obviously, ovulation is when you have that surge. So I'm... I'm, I'm enjoying speaking with other, I don't know if it's just fibro, it's just because that's my experience. I don't have what you have, uh, but I'm wondering if there's a relationship between hormones and flare-ups. 
Um, so I can tell you with like, stainless, it's after I will dislocate literally everything down to my fingers like the week before. Like my fingers wow. start popping out and like my jaw pops out, which, you know, like it's crazy stuff. And then of course the fibro flares, but it's, it's like, you know, when you have multiple disorders, there's certain disorders that just kind of get shuffled to the back where you're like, I, I can't even deal with you. Like you don't even exist. Like yes. I, I have, yes. I have other shit going on over here right now. Y'all have to just be quiet over there. At least be quiet enough that you're not causing a problem. Like I'll deal with the widespread muscle pain while I'm trying to like put my femur back in. Um, muscle pain go over yes. there. You're not priority right now. Like, well, that's what's fascinating is you. It sounds exactly like what I do, where you view your different illnesses as people in the room. That's kind of how in my brain I have anxiety, depression, loneliness. Right, they're in there, but so is compassion, empathy, joy. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, depression, anxiety. You guys cannot be here today. I, I did not mean for you to follow me into the house. Like, no. Like, I don't want to hang out with you today. I'm not in the mood. But joy and happiness, you guys, yes, please come hang with me. We need to, we need to like catch up, right? Like what's up? And then Elcat, you know what? You're stable today. So probably like I'll catch up with you in a week or two. Fibro, girl, friend, what is going on with you? So I, when people say you have multiple personalities, I'm like, why? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see the United States of Terra? It was um, a show on yeah. HBO, but I think it's, it, I'm almost positive it's streaming right now for free, either on Amazon Prime or on, um, on Netflix, but it is the best mental health series I'd ever watched. Uh, I was off, I was off, is Tony Collette, who was in, um, oh, all of you uh, 90s babies will know what she was in, Muriel's Wedding. Um, I love her. Right? Genius. And this is the most genius role I've ever seen anyone embody because she plays a multiple personality disorder mother. And it is one of the best shows I've ever watched. But my friend and I, um, she and I, we've known each other since we were one. We are like as close as you can be. And we're like both like, okay, how crazy are we actually? Because this seems really like our lot. Like this is like our mental process. Maybe it's not so extreme that we like we actually have like it was this question mark of like, are we just like? Uh, it just felt so true. And that's where I think you know, like this whole idea, like maybe we don't talk about mental health enough. Like, do I think I'm multiple personality disorder? Probably not. I, I know most likely. Um, but there are huge aspects of it where you're like, mm, I get that. <laughs> that makes sense mm -hmm. to me. I mean, it's a fantastic yeah. show, but it was, um, I totally hear you with like neat, like these things are actual, like our relationships with them. We, I at least have relationships with my mental health aspects. I have relationships with my disorders where it makes sense to, to me to anthropomorphize them so that it's like, they, they seem more something that can be reasoned with maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's my well, the more my you delusion. ignore it, just like, you know, like as the root is bent, so grows the tree, right? So the more you ignore it and you don't recognize it, the more you're going to be like, uh, excuse me, I'm here. <laughs> like, pay attention to me. Uh, so, depression does that I, a lot. Yeah. I, I see you. Just just relax a little bit, Fibro. Like, well, relax. That was one of my um, wonderful sessions. I have to give credit to my therapist because the more I denied that I, I didn't conscientiously deny having these illnesses it was more of a subconscious thing I would distract myself like we all have these coping mechanisms right where I would distract myself or I would find something fun um, and what I didn't realize was the minute I admit and recognize I'm able to move on quicker and feel better quicker so that's just me personally but yeah yeah, I mean, like I've been working with um, with 
one of my children on depression. Um, and I am super, like, my world is art. I draw, I, I play with my old photos and turn them into weird fairy tales. I write all the time. And so we talked about that, in, like, I, I'm a big fan of you make friends with whatever your demons are because they don't go away necessarily. It's not my experience, so you might as well play. And mm -hmm. I would just say, like, feel how it feels when you're depressed. Like, know how it feels. So when you're writing, you can use that from a personal place. Like, don't try to um, to just, like, force it away because it's, it's part of your experience and that's where all the art will come from. At least for these situations, that's what's working in our world. So what I do with a lot of my depression and anxiety is I, I put it into art or words and then I get distracted because I have no attention span. So, like, before and I know it, it into content. it's over. Content. Yeah, it's it's my art, it's my writing, it's everything. And that's, that's how I found the way to, um, as you talked about singing, as your coping mechanism I use yeah I use drawing and I'll draw until my fingers are in all sorts of like crazy slender man positions but it's what <laughs> I do to like I, it's a distraction I think when we're coping we're just distracting and I don't think that's a bad thing to do like if you're in the middle of something you can't hang with <laughs> coping and distracting oh, I find oh for helpful. sure distractions are a good thing I just meant long term yeah you know like coming I don't mean for today, I'm not going to think about the current pain I have. Long-term accepting is a way to just, this is why I have empathy for people who have symptoms with no diagnosis. And my, my loving Ooh. sister is one of them. She has a list of symptoms and I'm like, you have this, I know you have this, you have this, I have this, but it's nothing's been confirmed. So yeah. in a way, distraction is good for her too, as well. So she doesn't focus on what she doesn't have or allegedly. So it's just an interesting thing, the way we operate, you know, everyone has their coping mechanisms for me. Singing is my vocal coach is my best friend. And I was just with him yesterday and I felt the tingles coming in, in my jaw. I felt like I was getting an NFD attack. I did not want to go paralyzed because I get stuck in one position for about an hour, but I lose sense of time when it happens. I'm like, Oh, it's only two seconds long, whatever. But like an hour or two passes and I'm stuck. So he got me singing and I couldn't remember the words. I couldn't, but my brain knew them. I just couldn't, my brain disconnects from my body when it happens. And so he got me singing. And as time went on, the singing is what occupied my brain. And I had found for me, that was something that, because he's also, he's, he's classically trained and he's not a music therapist. I just call him a music therapist. And so when your brain is singing, you, you physiologically cannot do anything or think about anything other than what you're singing and the words as they're and if you know the anatomy physiology the autonomy of singing is pretty amazing and nothing else can go on in your world even if you're not an accomplished singer it, it, you don't have to be a singer but to sing it does so much for the brain and the body and so yeah coping mechanism there well if i'm walking around the house singing and if you're over here you're gonna hear me <laughs> what I do I mean my poor family I cannot carry a note but I still love to sing like my kids when they were little would be like stop singing bedtime well please mom no no and like I you know like once I got old enough that I wasn't like thoroughly traumatizing I'm like I, I don't care I enjoy this so back off yeah um, but, how old are your children uh I <laughs> I have one that's no longer a child uh one that's that's actually officially not a child um and then I have a wow. uh, preteen yeah. Wow. So Good for you. And you see, look at you did everything too. You got through it. You're getting through it. 
Oh, I that's, just love that's, you. That's such and a, I love this show. That's such a lovely, lovely way to phrase that. Um, and I'll go back to like, you know, when I was working full time, people would be like, oh, you're, you know, you're so, <laughs> my favorite word, inspiring. You know, you have a husband who you have a good relationship with and you've got like the kids and you have the family and you run this business and like, look at you. And I'm like, yeah, look at me. Actually, for the love of fucking God, look at me. Like, don't look just at look at my social media stuff where I'm posting like the cute stuff have a conversation with me. Don't, don't just like mm -hmm. leave me off to the side of some sort of idea of who and what I am. If you want to be in my life, actually, like this is not inspiring. <laughs> this is a lot of like my husband bringing me like my toothbrush with a bowl so I can brush my teeth from bed. Like I, I will, mm -hmm. sometimes he even has to help me brush my teeth because my wrists go like, you know, I figured out ways, like my kids learned how to make dinners really young. Mm -hmm. Like, my, mm -hmm. my son knew by the time he was five how to make dinner, how to do laundry. Like, this is mm -hmm. not some sort of, like, perfect game. And I think that's what we miss in social media is we almost, like, gamify all of our lives as, like, and, and then there's, like, the tribes. And it's, like, we, we need to get past mm -hmm. this and realize there's actual real people in our interactions. And that we're all one of the other healthier um One of the other healthier mental decisions I made was what – well, what I used to do was I would say, I know other people who have it way worse than I do. And what that did was the motive behind that thought process was I can relate to people who are, you know, dealing with, I can't even think of far more horrific things, too many to count. But what that did was it was invalidating what I was actually dealing with. Mm -hmm. so I would say, oh yeah, so-and-so has it worse. And I pushed myself because where so-and-so, if, if so-and-so is you know, on PTO and doing all these crazy things that to me seem exhausting just thinking about, I would say, well, she has it worse and she can do it. That means I should be doing it. And that's not the case because my best is very different than her best and our circumstances are different. So by me saying, oh, you know what? This is me. This is what I have. I'm going to lean in it. I'm going to own it as well as she is owning and leaning into her illness or her situation. Neither one is worse they're both different. And I had found in my chronic illness community, a lot of people would invalidate themselves. And I want that to stop as well. You know, I know that your next door neighbor may have it worse than you. And I know you understand her loss and her suffering, but you recognizing that has nothing to do with you. One has nothing to do with the other. So they're both bad. And let's just live there. And let's just put period. They're both bad. And that's something I also want to raise awareness about. You, know. you got to the heart of why this podcast exists is the idea that um, every single person is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. So mm -hmm. the person yeah. who might have it worse than you in quotations, that is quote unquote killing it, the phrase here in the Silicon Valley, um, you do not know what battle that person's mm -hmm. fighting hour to hour and what each hour looks like, just like they don't know. Mm -hmm. And you might look at someone who's healthy and go, well, you're healthy. Why, why, why are you suffering? Like, what is wrong with you? You have, n what, what, why don't you, you push it the way I would push it if I were you. And that's mm -hmm. the problem is we don't know what battle each person is fighting each and every day. Mm -hmm. I forgot mm -hmm. who said that. I wish I could take credit for that one. And I can't, but I can't give credit either because I can't remember who said it, but it is literally why, like why this podcast has the format it has is that, I really wanted to bring awareness that you do not know if you see someone walking and sitting in a handicapped spot, what that person is dealing with. 
You do not know if your coworker is falling asleep at their desk if they are caregiving for a relative or a person who needs them to be up at two in the morning to do like mm -hmm. you don't know someone's mental health. Like you don't know. Mm -hmm. So if you meet everyone with compassion and care at the start, <laughs> you might get a much better experience throughout the day. I'm sure you have caregivers listening in too. We do. And we've and, interviewed them. Um, and I would love more, uh, by the way, yeah. call out to our caregivers. Uh, we have not heard from any of you lately. Uh, please, please, for, you know, write us in. We would love you on the show too. Um, we've had a few. And um, I really appreciate that that perspective. My mom and I have um, had to become, not had to so much as, you know, I, I really love her, but we've had to become much closer than most adults get with their parents because she is mostly my primary caregiver throughout the day when things go wrong and mm -hmm. having really open talks mm -hmm. with her really helped about like what her disappointments were, what her frustrations are, what the happiness is. Like there's a lot of all of it and it all has to be acknowledged. Well, I'm sure it's a different dynamic for your mom. Cause a mom is a mom is a mom. I'm sure it's. Yeah. But I also have a dad who's very sick too. So she's caregiving for two oh. people at the same time. Yeah. That she loves very, very much. Yeah. That's it's a lot. It's extra. It's one thing to suffer and then another to see your child. I couldn't. It's um, couldn't you know, imagine every single parent is listening right now. Every aunt, every uncle, every grandparent, everyone who just has a kid in their life that they adore just like went, Oh yeah, I get mm -hmm. that. Because it doesn't even yeah. mean like, like you're the kid is disabled or, su or suffering in that way or suffering emotionally, just being a fucking human on this planet and growing up and dealing with all of the, the cruelty, the joy, the, all of it, like, that's hard for any of us to watch. That's why there are, that's why I don't talk disparagingly about lawnmower parents or helicopter parents. I get the impulse. <laughs> I get it to my core. <laughs> it is so uncomfortable when you think you can make something better for someone that you don't just rush in and do it because that would feel good. It's really a bad feeling to sit back and let someone figure it out and struggle. And I mean, like, it's hard to watch your, 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 the people you love and especially the small people you're responsible for suffer. It is, but you know, to flip it to a positive for me, I look at it as empowering them. When my daughter is something simple, like when she's struggling through her math homework, but I know she could do it. I also know I could fix it. Mm -hmm. But how empowering is it for her to learn that math homework? And how empowering is it for my eight-year-old? He makes dinner every night when my husband is out flying on shift. Yep. And he, look, mom, right, mom? Mom, look what I made. I made yep. you mac and cheese, mom. Like, as much as I felt like that's my job, I'm the mom, I'm supposed to cook. You should not be serving me in bed. But the minute he does, he has this huge smile on his face. Like he empowered something. So my guilt and his empowerment are two very interesting emotions to marry together. That's a waltz there. <laughs> I, I feel yeah. that waltz on a visceral level. And by the way, please don't be an idiot and send us like a message that, but we need to protect children. We're not saying don't protect kids. At no point are we saying like, if this is a problem your child can't solve, you shouldn't step in and fucking keep your kids safe and fix it. What we're saying is, <laughs> is I know what emails I'm going to get. So I'm just going to like cut this off right here and just say, um, listen to what we're actually saying. What we're saying is, is that if this is something that your kid can do. And we have this real issue, I feel, especially here in this country, I don't know in other countries because I don't live there, but where I live here, I feel like we infantilize children until they're 18 and then we get really mad at them for not being grown-ups. And 
it's just a shocking thing to me where it's like the Sir Thomas More quote of we cannot create criminals and then punish them. That's a bad mangle of the quote. I promise you it's better in his book. Um, but it is the same principle of we are creating a problem and then we are yelling at millennials and Generation Z going, how dare you not be grown up? So it's like, um, who raised them? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and you know, I don't care. My kids fold their own clothes. They make their own lunch for school. And it's not because I can't or, or, or don't want to. It's because sometimes I know that they're capable of doing it. Mm -hmm. And I, I do it according to their capability. Not because I'm lazy because I don't feel like it. And to be honest with you, sometimes I am lazy. And that's you know, okay. We are, a, <laughs> we are a family. I'm not going to pay you for doing chores. No, you live here too. And that's just how I feel. And my kids are more mature than I, I got to say this. They are, they are more mature than I was at their age. And my mom was awesome at when I was their age. I, I didn't learn how to cook even in my twenties. I'm going to be 40 and thank God I married a husband who went to culinary school. I just wasn't, I feel like I was oh, we stuff in common. And, <laughs> and I love my mom. Oh, believe me. I love my parents so much, but I didn't know how to do anything when I hit my twenties. Like, uh, I don't know how to do my laundry. I don't, I didn't even know how to drive a stick shift. Still don't. So it's just, I think it's based on conditioning and upbringing. Um, I had my own apartment at 23. I was a late bloomer. I'm not saying my kids are like, you know, singing. It's a hard knock life. It's just, I, I had to get over the guilt of my son making me mac and cheese. And if that's abuse, I, listen, this whole, I, my kid, is, you know, maybe I shouldn't say it. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say it. Don't I say it if you think you're going to regret it. Cause I refuse to go back and edit. I can't do that. I will just uh, trash the entire interview because I do not have the energy to find that one point and erase it. So no, I don't blame you. I won't say it then. It'll start controversy. I'll forget it. No worries. Forget it, but we'll leave it alone. I, that's hard that you get emails about that. That's, that's I get like, a lot of interesting wow. emails. Um, you know, I, it's interesting, um, because I really, um, no matter where your politics lie on this, this isn't a political statement, but I do uh, take a lot from AOC and from Elizabeth Warren and uh, not politically, I take a lot from JK Rowling and um, that, uh, Roland, um, sorry, my tongue is starting to get like really swollen in my mouth, so forgive any missteps here, but I haven't had any medication yet, so this will be fun. Um, but I take a lot from them in that either you're silent and you don't offend anyone, or you say the fuck you mean and you listen and you either stand by it or you listen and you adjust mm -hmm. or, you know, but at least like you're willing to put yourself out there and get the criticism. And I've gotten a lot of criticism and uh, a lot of it I'm okay with getting because it changed a lot of my perspectives. I'm willing to listen to hear where, where I might not understand something and I'm willing to really take a look at it. But the only other option is to be silent and not say anything. And um, I really love how these women have handled criticism on the internet because I feel like there's there's a different kind of criticism that I feel like anyone presenting female gets. And I you, it always, no matter what the point is, unless it's something like, hey, trans issues, let me help you with this. Or, hey, you kind of misspoke on it. The polite ones never do this, but the really mean ones always start with your voice is shrill. It's always saying I can't control. Your voice is shrill. You're too old. You're too fat. You're too ugly. And it's always those ones are what leads off. And it's funny to me because the things that wow. we tend to compliment or insult anyone who presents as female on tend to be things we can't control. 
they're you're so beautiful you've aged well you like like all these things that you're like I didn't actually have agency in that do you want to like tell me I was really smart in this or do you want to like don't tell me I've aged well like or don't tell me I'm ugly I either know that or I don't but there's not a lot I'm gonna be able to do about getting older or like and believe me with the meds I'm on there's not a lot I can do about my weight either so you can guys can leave that one off too um but I find it really interesting that what we insult anyone presenting female on is that there's no agency in it we didn't do anything either to earn it or to be censored for it so I mean we do live in an offended generation right now though I um, mean do we is it really that much uh, less offended than in the 1930s or in the 1890s or like the 1960s like I really think that we do have it more in our face because we read Twitter and we read comments on Instagram but I'm a historian well, it's too. Definitely and... also, the digital age is definitely, you, you know what, you're right. Well, I didn't live in those years. I didn't either. So I'm just a historian. Know. Like when I was doing all of my literature, I just felt like you had to understand the era to actually write a decent like critique on the book. So I would research like oh. hell, the entire, like everything that was going on globally in whatever book I was writing a paper on. And I find it really interesting how much we forget. Like everything that we're like, this is, and I'm guilty of this too. This is the worst presidency that's ever happened. This is the most corrupt. No, it's not. <laughs> and we survived. Um, and not to say it's not I bad, not to say we shouldn't thought. do stuff. Um, not to say this isn't um, horrible and stressful and awful, but you also can't go to the other side and go, this has never happened before. Do some research, look at what's happened before. Saying this is like the generation Z is the most off the hook insane kooky. Please take a look at the um, the last babies of the century because they were fascinating to read about. This one's got nothing on yeah. them. Um, you think that this time is Bachian and crazy and wild? Look at the 1920s. Um, they they defined partying. And if you want to go back further, you will see a lot through court ages. But it's um, it, it's interesting when we say things like this is a super triggered quote unquote society, and then you look at like. Well, is that really much more triggered than people who are like, oh my gosh, there's someone of a different skin color near me. I'm going to like, you know, there's, there's, there, people have been very easily offended forever. That's, you know what, you're right. And it's probably because we are in the the, the digital age where everything has, is fed to us 24 seven. When I grew up, the news was only on at five o'clock and 11 right? o'clock and you didn't know what was going on in between. You got the morning no paper. Just texting. If I wasn't home, I didn't get a phone call, you know? Yeah. Like I, I Did you just, just pop again? Uh, three times so far. We're not camping count or anything. <laughs> it's all good. Oh my God. No, it's just, does it hurt? Uh, you know, I love that question because I get it a lot. Uh, yes, every time, every single time. I, I wish I could say mm-hmm. that you get really used to it, but you get the good mask where you can like pretend like it's okay and keep going. Um, the only time I can't is when it's a femur. Um, for some reason, the femurs just kill me, and that's that's unadulterated screaming. <laughs> oh my goodness! But and is your genetic as well? Uh, it is genetic. I'll go back to that in just one second. So I just wanted to like say something really quickly about what we were talking about social media. Um, one of the things that I like about social media and why I'm willing to expose myself to a lot of ick and negativity is it's the only time I get to talk to people who disagree with me. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'm out of my sphere so rarely that um, I think it's really important not to just live in an echo chamber. And if we just are in our our communities, whether that be church, whether that be synagogue, whether that be mosque, whether that be, you know, a Wiccan prayer circle, like I, whatever your your group is or your family or your mm-hmm. friends, we tend to just echo back and forth. And then we have zero idea of what's happening in communities outside of ourselves. So when you're in social media, I feel like it's the one place where I can actually talk to people 
from the Midwest, from Florida, from, you know, from Sweden, from Africa, from all over the world. And I can actually get a dialogue with people who I've never lived their lives. I've never even imagined their lives. And I can then see their perspective a little differently. And I think that's, that's just saying I do as a thought exercise, as a compassion exercise, as a, you know, empathy exercise, but. Um, that's really interesting. Well, most of my, and, and this is why I can relate so much to what you said, because I don't, I have a larger online community than I do in person. Yes. <laughs> and than I do locally. And interestingly, I'm more of an extrovert, but I'm an extrovert in the sense that I really love feedback from others, but I'm an internal thinker, decision maker. Mm. I'm not an intro, I'm not an extrovert in the sense where I want to be the first one at a party or something like that. I'm an extrovert where I love banter and I love communication. Yes. I'm introverted in the sense that I'm an independent thinker. I'm an independent, you know, motivated by my own experiences, but inspired by external sources. See, I sense. live for this. What we're doing right now, this is my, like, thing. I don't like being in groups of large people because I get very mm. overwhelmed, like, sensory overwhelm. I oh, get yeah. panicky. I, I get hate sensory. parties. <laughs> I hate groups. Yeah. Like, Disneyland, things like that. Like, I'm like, absolutely not. I can't hang. Uh, but the one-on-one -on -one chatting, I really dig. Like, small groups mm -hmm. are my thing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What you're asking, yeah. yes, what I have is absolutely genetic, which has um, gotten a whole bunch of my family to look at their family history and their um, their families. And it turns out like on the side that has this genetic component, one of my second cousins is exactly me as far as where she is at with her dislocations at her age. So it's like, it's a pretty strong genetic component. And much like you um, on the direct side of it, I'm the only one who got the full the full, oh my God, to the wall. Like everything I do, I took this all the way. With, like I did not go part way with this at all. Um, so I, you know, I look at my little nieces and nephews and I look at my, uh, my cousins and I, and my aunts and uncles, and I can see the hypermobility. A lot of them are like, no, no, this is totally normal. Like, no, that's not. No one else does that. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. um, so I can see like where the genetics are still there, but I was the only one who got like the full on like dislocate everything. <laughs> well, I have hypermobility. I just don't have ED, mm -hmm. and um, I, I I I'm grateful for that. My well, friend, it's EDS. You don't her... want to say ED. ED is a totally different thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is another podcast that we can cover. I, we have our sex therapist who comes on once a month. He will happily discuss that one. Um, we, you and I do not have the body parts to have that full on discussion. <laughs> or do I? No, I'm just kidding. Or you might, and you just didn't put that in your notes and we can have a discussion about that too. <laughs> EDS. Thank yes. you for that. EDS. Yes. Um, is that considered autoimmune? No, but MCAT I believe is. Um, uh, the Eller stainless is, um, your connective tissue disorder. Your, it's a connective tissue disorder. So everything mm. in your body that requires collagen and connective tissue is going to be fucked. That includes keeping mm. your brain inside your skull, your eyeballs functioning inside your eyes. Your teeth can shift around like crazy. That's fun. Um, it, it holds your stomach up. It, like anything connective tissue can and will most likely possibly go very, very, um, wrong. I like to call it body made by a Salvador Dali and Picasso connection. Like it's, it's very entertaining, but you know, like obviously what I have, it, it does not necessarily have a life expectancy. Like I, I say that I'm fighting for my lifestyle. I'm not fighting for my life. Like you're fighting for your fucking life. Um, 
but it is one of these disorders that people don't know about. And so people who, um, like, I'll talk to people on the podcast who are undiagnosed and I'll just watch their body language. I'll be like, hey, after the podcast, let me give you some questions to ask your doctor. And like, I think two or three people got diagnosed. Um, but it's a, it's a weird disorder that like, I will watch my doctors, even the most skilled ones at Stanford and at San Francisco general, like they'll sit there and they will uh, like Google it in front of me. Like I've never heard of this. <laughs> I'm so excited when anyone does. Because and the first thing they say is you're not dislocated <laughs> because you'd be screaming. And that's mm. uh, led to the, um, whenever I have to go to the hospital, which is, I will never, I don't go unless I have to. Um, but they ask pain scale and I always have to ask them, is it my pain scale or yours? Because I will keep this face even with a bone sticking out of my body. So you my have God. to tell me which, which pain scale we're going by because my five is your eight. <laughs> like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that more than I could even tell you. And for oh. me to go to the hospital, it's, I'm on death's door. Yeah. I mean, first off, when I see, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was interrupting you. Go ahead. I was just going to say when I see, it's not a comparison thing, but when I see other pain tolerances, like the nurses will offer me, do you want a pain med? I'm like, no, I'm saving that for when it gets really bad and I'll have a, a bone sticking out or something like that, you know, like our pain tolerance. It's amazing how it, it gets really high. And I wonder if that has a lot to do with how we think about things and how used to we are, how chronic pain, It at some point, I guess what I'm trying to say at some point, I don't know if, because the pain is so chronic and it's kind of bad all the time, that for it to be really bad, I mean... I don't even know what really bad looks like because if someone who doesn't have pain had what you and I have, I don't know that they would even be able to survive that, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's just interesting. But I also have that, that I have this theory that I, I'm glad I have it. I'm not glad I have it, but I'm glad if anybody has to have it, it's me mm-hmm. because I know my strengths. I know what I can use it for. I know that I, I'm glad it's me and not my kids. Like there are so many different ways to flip being in so much pain to a good thing. I don't, I sound, maybe, and maybe I'm on the cusp of crazy. I think that's what we're also kind of concluding here. The best of us are. are. <laughs> I don't, so I don't know how to raise awareness for LCAP. One thing I can say is that if somebody has cloudy corneas, that's a telltale sign. If your body does not make HDL, little to no HDL, but fun fact about that with lab values, your lab is going to show you have HDL, but if it's 0.5 or just on the low end, that's a telltale sign as well. You can have LCAT deficiency, just the eyes, or just no HDL and not the kidneys, but the more patients we have that have these diagnostic tools figured out, the more patient, the more closer we are to getting um, a cure out for LCAP. A lot can of people don't need to me, have that kidney biopsy. Can you send me a list of the symptoms to watch out for, and I'll publish it onto our show notes and a separate blog. Yes. Just to, like, seriously, whatever you need from us to, like, amplify this, we will, <sighs> Invisible Networking's no got your back. We will do whatever we can to, like, oh. push this. Um, but, you know, as, as people are listening, um, especially, uh, you know, if you live in a place that has any kind of medical system, whether it be the NHIS, I help me, um, or if you live here in the United States, especially if you can call your 
representatives, um, if you can push forward for, you know, a better system, that would be incredible. And hey, if you're listening to this and you're a lawyer or a lobbyist or you are really good mm. at, at PR, please contact me. I will mm. get you in touch with Wendy um, or you can go right to her website and get in <sighs> touch with her. Um, this is important. So, I mean, we're, we're literally fighting a clock here, right? So um, if you if you are not that person and you know that person, go guilt them. We are talking about not just Wendy. We're talking about a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of different disorders, not just LCAD. We're talking about there are literally thousands of orphan diseases where it's not just people like me fighting for a lifestyle. We're talking about people like Dawn, if you've listened to her podcast, um, who has kids and is a mom and trying to fight a whole system while she's very sick, like Wendy fighting a whole system while she's very sick. We're talking about a lot of people with real lives, real humans, just as much want and dreams and hopes to be here as you do. And if you can help and you can just like look through your Rolodex, I know I'm old, right? Look through your iPhone, look through your, your <laughs> Samsung, whatever you can and go, hey, networking. I'm going to think about this not just as I'm going to turn this episode off and think, wow, this is a really like wonderful, like, yay, I feel good about life. Yay, this is a great talk to listen to. I feel less lonely. I want you to actually like look at your Facebook list, look through your contacts and go, do I know someone who could actually help the situation out? Do I know someone who might have a relative who is a congressperson? Please actually think about this as you might be a helpful person in the solution. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We went like over an hour. It's going to be a two-part episode, <laughs> so I'll put I'll put like something like this at the end of the first episode too, because I want everyone to hear this and really think about: Is there something you could possibly do to be part of the solution and help? I mean, this is not a partisan issue. I know I'm super political, but this isn't a partisan issue. These are lives. These are people who deserve to be here on this planet, and there is actually cures. There are actual cures for a lot of disorders that are just languishing because there's a capitalist idea of they have to make money in order to release it. So whatever you can do to be a part of the solution, please be a part of it. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to the show notes. Seriously, there will be a big button for Wendy's blog. You need to read this. I went down a rabbit hole that you would not believe reading her blog. She is so funny and clever. And if um, you need this podcast because you need to feel less lonely, read this blog. It will do the same thing for you. It's a lot of making me feel less lonely in my struggles in being real, being a person with chronic illness, being a parent with chronic illness. This is awesome. So please go over there, head over there, head over to, um, yeah. Anyway, we have gotten to 75,000 downloads. Thank you so fucking much, everyone. We don't advertise. We have no advertisers. We don't even have a Patreon thing up. Uh, someday I'll get to that. Um, too sick too. Uh, but the only reason we have 75,000 downloads, why we have new emerging people listening through the Middle East, through Africa, oh my God, thank you, um, through South America and through Central America and through, um, God, I am just shocked. Um, you guys humble and honor us by listening. Um, whether you agree with us or not, you are listening. So thank you so much for that. And please keep sharing us. That's the only reason we have any of this going on is you hear something that you feel is valuable to someone and you share this podcast out to them. So thank you so much. Until next week, which will probably be Eva. So please enjoy her new thing on um, uh, doctors and uh, people who are in the healthcare professionals who have chronic illness. That's been an amazing segment. She's now working on people who have very influential lives 
who also have chronic illness. Her segments are awesome. Please take a listen. Send her some love. She always wants to know how she's doing, and she loves, just like I do, some feedback. So please give feedback. Um, and I think that's about it. So, hey, um, until next week, be kind, be gentle, and you know how to do this. Be a fucking badass.